You are now listening to Uninformed Consent, where we provide uninformed information to an informed population. My name is DeMonte Whiting. My name is Eric Cruz, and we will be your hosts for this evening. Okay, I'm recording. Got it. Um, so I, th- I think what I wanted to talk to, uh, to you about today was um, just the idea of... Um, or maybe it's a question. It's a question. Um, is therapy a field that is a lifelong field? Or is it a field where therapists should also have an exit strategy? Right. Um, I'm asking that question because I guess going into it, I always thought that this would be a field where because I, because I feel like it's like a, I've heard comedians say it a lot. Like if you were, you're born a comedian, it's not something you decide to do one day. You you just kind of know mm-hmm. it. I feel like with therapy, it's one of those things too, where um, you just kind of know that this is meant for you. Um, because to get to the point where you're licensed, there's so much you have to go through. So many walls you have to jump over to get to that point that hopefully by that point, you know that this is what you were kind of like born to do, you know? Um, because you're exposed to so many different types of people, personalities, situations. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I've always thought of it as a, a career where you can do it until the day you die. And that was, that's always been my expectation. Right. And Um, now maybe you feel a little differently. I do. I do. It's interesting. Um, there was another therapist a couple of years back when I was, when I was an associate that, um, that had given a speech to my class at school and about what is it going to be like when we got licensed and whatnot, what he had gone through, um, what he liked about it and what he didn't like about it. Um, but on a side note, he mentioned that he was also working on doing a podcast and writing a book. And when we asked him why it's like, and it was because he hadn't considered, he hadn't, he had thought about the possibility of, getting out of the therapy game in terms of like one-on-one with clients and doing more, more behind the scenes stuff. Yep. And I thought about it as I, at the time I thought it was interesting because I had never considered that. Yeah. You know, I, I you know. see this a lot actually. So, you know, to, to answer okay. your question and I answered a lot of questions like this, and this is just my opinion on it. Um, is it is for some and not for others and a long-term lifelong career. And, um, I think a lot of therapists along the way, myself included, start to realize, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? It's very emotionally taxing. And it is, and I always have to show up to these sessions and emotionally invest in my clients. And I also have relationships outside of therapy right and when i'm monetizing Mm -hmm. my social assets then i my other relationships kind of suffer sometimes like i just have less energy right and so then you start thinking right what else can i do in this career right what how else can i use my skills that i've learned um right and i don't have i saw that i don't have specific statistics on like who how many people do it you know, till the end and how many people find other strategies, you know, a common thing I see happen Mm -hmm. 
uh, earlier on in people's careers, at least with my colleagues, is they'll say, you know what, I, I don't really want to do uh, face-to-face sessions with clients anymore. And they get into like administrative work, like program directors, clinical directors. Right, right, right. And I've seen that too with people who are just licensed. So like the associate journey, the journey of being an associate is so taxing that a lot of people just wait to get their license so they can be in a higher, what is it, pay grade. And then they just choose a different area. Like they'll go into quality assurance or they'll go into um, administration or something in the same field, but not direct contact with clients, you know? Um, So that just so they don't have to do the therapy part anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know for me, even though I found the experience taxing for sure, the associate experience, um, once I got licensed, there was such this freedom that I felt like I had that um that i just figured okay now that i am where i wanted to be i can definitely do this forever yep and but now i'm in the place where i'm not so sure you know i I love what i'm doing for sure i love i love the impact that um that it has on other people's lives and i love seeing and i love knowing that i'm making a difference and that um yeah, knowing that I help someone else improve their life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it is it is not an easy task, mm-hmm. you know. Like I, I thought going in that, um, like I said before, you 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 kind of have to be built for it, and I know I'm built for it for sure. But at the same time, it you are giving a I feel like a, a piece you are giving away a piece of yourself so someone can have a piece of themselves. Exactly, you know. And even if you do practice uh, yeah, self-care and even if you do practice being uh, mindful of, of how you're using your energy, you are using your energy yep. because everyone's different and everyone has their own different issues. And there's always a part of you you have to pull out to be able to address that issue. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not I don't look at it as a. Um, as you're the you're the client, I'm the therapist and there's no other connection between us. I think that there has to be a bond between the, th- the therapist and the client in order for that relationship to have an impact therapeutically. Right. Um, I think that I have an influence on the client and I think something about them has an influence on me um, because everything that, everything that I've helped clients to overcome in some way, shape or form, they've also helped me to overcome something else. So there's an exchange of influence and there's an exchange of uh I don't know what else, how else to describe it, spirit maybe or something. Yeah. But I do know that there is a piece of me that I'm giving away mm-hmm. when I'm helping someone else to improve, you know, their lives. And so, and there's only so much of that that you have. Exactly. And I don't know if you agree with me. You tell me if you do, or if this is the same for you, but like, mm-hmm. I, it's not so much, it's interesting. You talk about like giving away that piece of yourself and I very much feel the same with my work. And it's not so much that it's about the specific client that I'm giving a piece of myself away to. It becomes the Mm. mass of them together, the doing them back to back, right? I never like walk into a session and and then like, you know, don't want to be talking to this person. It becomes a matter of like quantity and you have to do that quantity when your income relies on it, when your lifestyle relies on it. And that's when you start to go, man, is this sustainable? Right. 
That's the part. That's the part. And I think that like when I look at the people who do it and are able to do it life for their life, complete lifetime, well, not a complete lifetime, but you know what I mean? Um, there's a part of, they have, they have been able to, to um, have the number of clients that they want to work with, the type of clients that they, that are best suited to them and make the money that, that uh, they also make the money that complements the type of clients that they have, you know, like um, you can have the ideal clients, you know, that, that work best with your personality, work best with your skill set. But some, a lot of, oftentimes the money doesn't match mm-hmm. up to the clientele that you mm-hmm. have. And so the number of clients that you get outmatches the, the amount of money you make per client. Um, and although that shouldn't be that, that important, you are trying to have a living, Yep. you know? And so like, and I say that because like right now I'm in a place where I can make as much money as I want to make now. Mm-hmm. Right. I couldn't do that before, but I can. But to do that, I have to tackle more clients. Yeah. You know, so my wealth is is directly tied to the amount of work I'm willing to put mm-hmm. in. And you know, like I know, that eight hours a day working at a desk job or eight hours a day working uh, factory or construction is not the same as eight hours working on helping people change their lives. Yeah. No. Right? Um, and so a four-hour day to me may be equal to an eight-hour day for someone else. Yep. You know? Um just because those four hours are four totally different people with four totally different backgrounds and four totally different issues that I have to help figure mm-hmm. out, you know, because at the end of the day, they need to leave that place better than when they came in. Yep. That's my job, yep. you know? And so that in itself, and I think that's what I'm, I'm understanding a lot more now than I understood before. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I don't have someone over, you know, like standing over me and, making sure I'm doing everything correctly. I'm standing over myself and I'm seeing, okay, um, what is working? What's not working? Um, and I'm not, de- and I don't have to deal with the whole burnout thing. You know, I don't have to have like 30, 40 clients to meet what I'm trying to meet, but still, even with the clients that I do have, it's still, it's still a lot. It is. You it know? Is. And so, yeah, it's, it's a conversation that I have with myself I didn't expect to have going into yep. this. The way I try to re- relate it to people who don't understand is like, if have you ever had like a really emotionally intense conversation with someone? Maybe it's a loved one or a friend that's going through a really hard time, or maybe it's even like a heated argument, you know, with your uh, spouse or partner. And then you just feel drained afterwards. Like, Therapy can be that emotionally intensive and you're going back to back. You walk out of one and right. then you go right into the next one. 10 minutes later. Right. So imagine having five of those in the yeah. day. Right. And you're already taxed from the first mm-hmm. one. <laughs> right. Right. And so, and then I also question myself and I'm thinking, is it because this is your therapeutic style? Because there's some other styles out there that people are less, that are less, um, maybe connected to emotionally, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, uh, more, maybe more person centered where, uh, it's not so much, um, we're engaging back and forth. It's more about me by, by the questions that I'm asking, it's allowing you to then uncover a lot of things for your own, right. For Mm -hmm. yourself. Um, or maybe it's not as psychodynamic, which I, which I can't speak too much on because I don't, I don't know how that has changed in the, 
you know, uh, more, most recently, but from what I've learned, it's, it's more of, um, I'm less involved in the sense of, I, again, I'm helping you undercover, undercover, uh, some things for yourself, but it's not so much the connection that you and I have that's aiding that process. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Whereas with my, with the way that I do it, I'm definitely a part of it. I recognize the impact that I have on the client and the impact they have on me. And I utilize it for the, for the, for their therapeutic benefit, yep. you know? Yep. Um, um, and that, and that's, and for me, that's why I think it's been effective for me because of that, that aspect of it. I agree. Um, and so, but at the same time, <laughs> it's not easy. No. It's, you know, it's, it's work. It's a lot. It of sounds work. like your style is very relational like mine. Very. Yeah. It's like, I, I definitely reckon like there's definitely a connection between me and my clients. There's definitely a trust between me and my clients. And it's definitely like a, a serious relationship between us. Um, that is what I believe is necessary for that process to be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, you know, and I take into account my own personal, my own personality, uh, my own personal flaws, you know, like I tend to be hard on myself in general. That's just how I've, that's just what I've, how I've developed over the years. Um, I take into account, um, what is my stuff and what is the stuff of therapy itself so i'm not like confusing it you know mm-hmm. um and then at the end of the day i take that i subtract it from what what i've been doing and then and that's the number i come up with and that number is still difficult yeah, yeah it's really difficult. i love again and i love what i do and i love what i do with a passion i would never i can't see myself doing anything else mm-hmm. but it's still hard yeah, and then it gets into another territory that what you're talking about that um, I've mentioned a lot, and which is, so if you want to make a certain amount, but you don't want to burn yourself out, then you have to charge higher rates. And then right. when you charge Definitely. higher rates, like you deserve, let's say you you charge two hundred dollars an hour, like you deserve two hundred dollars an hour, like what you're giving, that's a fair compensation. But the thing is, right. what the client is getting in return, it's not necessarily worth two hundred dollars an hour. Of course, that's of course that's contingent upon their budget and how much money they have. Um, but a lot of people mm-hmm. can't really afford that. And right. therapy is a slow progress. You do it every week. It takes a lot of time. So if you that two hundred dollars a week, that's like eight hundred dollars a month. And what they get out of it, it's very slow. And so there's this gap in the middle that needs to be filled and like insurance companies are supposed to fill that, but they don't. And so the system's kind of broken too, in that regards. Right. Right. True. Um, yeah. And it's tough. And I think a lot of people, a lot of therapists in the field, um, that really want to sacrifice their own needs to help as many as people will do the low fee counseling and it's hard. It's really hard. It is. And it's also like when you're starting out too, like unless you started out, I would say starting out um, working in private practice where you can then take on clients of your own after that, you know, after that process, after you've got licensed, um, it's going to be difficult to get clients on board, especially if you're not working for an organization. If you're working for yourself, private practice, or even if you're working for a group practice, uh, 
you're going to have to get clients. And you do that, uh, at least starting out, you're either going to do it through insurance, getting on an insurance panel, which is going to take you a good chunk of time just to get mm-hmm. on. You're probably going to connect to a group practice where uh, you're going to have to take a, a cut in your pay in order to get clients. But and it, the exchange is great because you get clients. You definitely yeah. do. Um, and you don't have to worry about advertising, you know, so you save money there. Um, so maybe if you're calculating it out, maybe there's some, maybe it's equivalent in some way, but it's not the same as you're getting paid per hour, what you're worth for what you're doing. Right. Um, because you have to keep in mind that for every client you get, that's another year or so that you have to give mm-hmm. up. You know, like each client is a, is about a year, maybe two, maybe three, depending on the person. But a lot of people going into therapy thinking that, oh, so I'll see this client for about six months or maybe three months. Or if you're a therapeutic style, it's like uh, evidence-based, it may be set. Like if you're going through an insurance company, it may be set. You can only work for this much time with a client, in which case that's out of your, your hands anyway. Right. But if that's not the case, um, and if you work like I work, I don't think therapy is a, is a three-month thing or a six-month thing. My, I think therapy is, is a therapy until it's done, mm-hmm. you know, until they can then walk out better than when they walked in and they don't need you anymore. You know, yeah. my goal is that, that when you leave, you are able to then go out on the world and do your own mm-hmm. thing and you can come back. Like we can do like check-ins, but you don't need me every week, you know? Can I, and so can I ahead. say something a little controversial? Go ahead. I'm a little nervous saying this, but I'm, you know, BBS, uh, for listeners, if you don't know that is, what that is, it's the Board of Behavioral Sciences. It's who oversees our, our licenses. <laughs> so if you're listening, mm-hmm. please don't slap me on the wrist for this. But on the exam okay. uh, to get licensed, one of the things that really bothered me were these questions about um, ending treatment, right? They're like, okay, so your client's uh, depression has alleviated and they're starting to feel better, but they want to stay and continue to see you um, because, you know, you never know when other problems might come up. Do you keep seeing them or do you tell them therapy's over? And the answer, according to the Board of Behavioral Sciences, is therapy's over, even if they want to keep seeing you. And you're supposed to force them to terminate. And I think that's insane. Right. Personally, I think that's insane. Like, because okay, new challenges come up all the time. I'll have clients like get over one thing and then maybe we have, and it's always up to them. I'll be like, you're probably, you're at the point where I think you probably don't need this anymore. And then it's up to them. And sometimes they want to stay. And, right. and then there might be like a, a month where they come in and they don't have a lot to talk about. Maybe we reduce sessions frequency. And then something else happens and they got all this stuff to process because life right. is full of pain and suffering and new challenges and new things arise. And they have this comfort system where they like to talk to you about it. You're that safe neutral party where everything's confidential. True. And someone's in therapy for three years. If they can afford it, they want to do that. Is that a problem? I don't know. According to the B- board of behavioral sciences, it sounds like it's a problem. Got you. I hear what you're saying. Because, and you're right, like you can, you can go through spells where there's not much to talk about because I'm actually doing pretty good Mm -hmm. right now, you know? And then just when you think, you know, it's, it's, it's like termination time, 
something else pops up, something like something crazy pops up. I, I've seen it where you think you're doing some therapy with your client, but they're actually holding the cards. They don't really want to show you yet the real right? stuff. They might also be lying to you. And it's, and it's usually the ones that seem like they're good to go. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we've, so we've handled this. You now have these skills, you know, um, you can now, cause my, my idea is that like, I'm teaching you a skill set so that you can then address these issues on your own. So you don't need me in the mm-hmm. future. And so when situations like this come up, you can now handle it. Right. But it's always, I'm, I don't know why I'm still surprised, but it's always the ones that you don't think the ones that you think are, you know, they're good now. Or never really had any serious issues. They just wanted some, some like some maintenance or some basic upkeep, and now they're good. That's when they drop the bombshell, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, so there is something really, really deep down in it, and we need to like, we need to start mm-hmm. over, or we need, to, you know, something has to change now because because the, the, what we were working on was not this. Yep. It, you know, you know, the, a common story I hear from uh, people, not clients, but like friends and people in my personal life as they'll say you know i tried therapy um i uh would lie to my therapist the whole time and the therapist never called me out on my bullshit it was a waste of time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like are we mind right. readers we- like how am i supposed to <laughs> that's my fault <laughs> that you lied right. to me right. and i didn't call you out on your bullshit right. i didn't realize that was you were, I didn't realize you were it's hiring real, like a, a bullshit meter specialist. It's real because, because I get it though. It's like, a have I, like, I know people who have learned, I probably learned it myself, like how to be really good at being open, but being closed. And so I'll tell you everything you want to know. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you'll think I'm an open book, but I didn't tell you what, I didn't tell you what I want you to know. You know, I didn't tell you what's emotional for me. I just told you what's emotional for you. Right. So I'll tell you all the south, all the sob stories you need to hear, you know, and then you're like, wow, man, yeah, you've been through so much, blah, blah, blah. But you need to be paying attention. If you're there, you need to be paying attention that how I'm, how am I telling you this though? Am I telling you like, I, like I'm telling anybody on the street or is there an emotional response to what I'm telling you? Right. You know what right. I mean? And that's the thing that I think sometimes we miss because like, um, I remember I had a conversation with a client a while back. It was just like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're definitely doing a lot, but I haven't seen anything like, um, I know we, you've opened up a lot, but I haven't seen anything, you know, like the, I haven't felt anything emotional coming from this conversation or anything that we've talked about. And that's when we, op- and that's when they opened up about, okay, well, this is the real stuff here, mm-hmm. you know? Cause like you get so used to, you get so used to like, uh, knowing what to say to get what you want from people or knowing what to say to get people off your back, right. you know, stuff like that. And so you don't have to have a emotional connection to that, but the therapist is trying to get that, that commo- that emotional connection mm-hmm. because that's where the change happens. And so if we're not paying close attention or if you're really good at what you're doing, we miss that. Right. And that's really what you want us to, that's what you really want us to talk about. And I think, and I think that's why some, sometimes I end my sessions with, is there anything that you want to talk about today that you feel like we didn't talk about? You know? I love that. Or is it, you know, or is there anything you feel like we missed? Um, and then if there is, they let me know. 
And then I'll and I'll say something like, "Okay, well, we'll definitely talk about that yeah. next session. I'm gonna put that on the top of my list that we get that we cover that. You know, I love that because I know that it now I know that that's important to them. And I've actually confronted a client before um, that would uh, tell me some things at the end, like the important stuff at the at the end. And I'm just thinking, why would you tell me that now when we're about to end the session? The doorknob disclosure. <laughs> yeah, why would you give me that yeah. now? And it's like, well, because I'm embarrassed about it. Yep. And so it's easy for me to say it out the doors and to say it. I don't want to spend a whole hour talking about it because I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You know, I got shame around it. I got guilt around it. Yep. And so that's something I had to, um, something I had to learn. Yep. And in the words of Brene Brown, uh, the only thing that shame needs, or maybe not the only, one of the biggest things that shame needs to grow is silence. Yeah. Exactly. I probably butchered that quote, but it's something like that. Or you know what I think yeah, no, she says: uh, the less you talk about it, the more you have it. Yeah, and then it, it's funny because sometimes you get to clients where it's like, um, I don't really want to talk. Like you, like you want to get them to open up about things that are deep, that are traumatic, that are that have a lot of impact on them, and the response is usually, I don't want to tell that story again. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and there's a lot of different philosophies behind that. Um, but I guess the way I explain it is like, have you ever seen a scary movie? A movie that scares like scares the bejesus out of yeah. you, right? And um and there's an emotional reaction to that movie. But try watching it again. And then 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 try watching it again. You know, after a while. The story is still there, but the emotional connection is no longer mm-hmm. there. I've seen all the things happen. I know all the little jumps, all the little scares. It doesn't scare me anymore. I can watch Sixth Sense now. That was a movie that, that freaked me out back in the back in the day. Sixth yeah, that's scary. Um, but then I watch it now, and I'm like, oh, it's not that scary. Yeah. You know? But that's because I've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when it comes to, like, traumatic experiences and stuff like that, that's where that's where the power of the story lies, is that is that once you tell the story, you're not necessarily in the same place you were the first time you told mm-hmm. it. And the story may not have the same impact that it had the first time you told it. You know, because a lot of times we don't tell the story because of all the shame and guilt we have around right. it. And then once you've told it, okay, it's still there, but it's there to the same degree. You know, and then once you told it again, it's just still there, but at the same degree. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know where I was going with that, but... um it's good stuff. It just made me think about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. know. We should probably have a talk about that on one of our other podcasts. I like that. Maybe. I like yeah. a good topic. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that's an interesting topic for yeah. sure. But uh, um, so yeah. So, is it all right if we? I want to circle back around to the very beginning and talk about the other side of this, which is okay. Uh, is that therapy can be a lifelong career because I've seen that happen. Got it. And right. Like specifically, I know a story of a therapist who saw her clients until she was terminally ill. And then even when she was terminally ill, continued to see her clients until she died. And wow. You know, I asked the person who told me the story, like why, why would she do that? And apparently uh, it was because 
her clients were the one of the biggest parts of her life that she derived meaning from and got it for her it wasn't like this is a thing i gotta do it was like this is what gets me up in the morning got it see okay i'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you keep going before i jump in because i have a yeah, I don't know. It's just like I—I I don't think that's not me, <laughs> you know. Like if, no. that's not me. If I get terribly <laughs> ill, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be selfish with my time, you know. I'm gonna be like, man, I right. want that time to me. And that's what I'm like. Is that was that about her? Was that about them? I don't know. It's like it's like disclosure. It's like like uh, someone asked me before, like, when do you know when to disclose something to a client? Well, uh, am I by disclosing it? Am I helping them, or by disclosing it, am I helping me? You mm-hmm. know, and that's that's what I use to determine whether I disclose my personal information or not. If I know that by sharing this with them, they feel like that's a connection with me so they can then further open up. Yeah, I'm going to share it. If I feel like by sharing this with them, I feel good about myself or I feel like, yeah, I did a good job. I'm not going to share it because it's not, it's not for them. It's for me. Mm-hmm. And so when you just said that just now, my thought was, wait, so she wanted to continue seeing clients up till the day she died because it made her feel good about herself. Yeah. You know, or made her feel like her life was worthwhile. But are you doing that? Cause like, I don't know. I think about, I don't know if I want to be a client that someone that I know is going to die pretty soon. Right. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to see them in a the hospital bed, giving me session. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, well, I don't know for sure. Yeah. I hear that too. I think, you know, there might've been, I think um, there might've been clients that wanted to keep doing it, you know? And I'm sure it wasn't like yeah. right up till the day she died. It was probably like to the point where she, her she couldn't carry out her duties anymore, you know. But right, she continued throughout the the um for part of that illness. Got it. Got it. I can see. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. I remember when I was when I was sick. I was an RA back in college, and uh, I love my job, RA residential assistant. Uh, for people that don't know, um, and so I was in charge of my dorm. Um, and during my, I think maybe two, three months in, I found that I was sick and I would have to go to the hospital, you know, and I would probably be there, um, for a long time in Cleveland. So I was in Oberlin and I had to go to Cleveland, which is about 45 minutes away from correct. Um, and that would mean that, um, I wouldn't be able to do my duties. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the time I hadn't gone in the hospital. I hadn't been gone. It hadn't happened yet, you know, and um, I didn't know how intense it was going to be at the time, but when my supervisor found out about it, she immediately was like, okay, you gotta, we gotta take you off the board, you know, like you're out. And I was just like, wait, what? Like I, I just found out that this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. And your first response is, okay, well you won't be able to serve your duties. You know, so you have to go. How did you feel about that? And I'm thinking, I hated yeah. it. I hate it. And I was pissed at mm-hmm. her because like, I get it. I get it. Like, uh, that this will be something in the future that to think about, you know, but at least allow me a chance to process what's going to happen before you make a decision about, you know, because I think that that had something to do with how I felt going forward. Right. You know, cause you feel like I, you know what I realized now you feel like you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like how did I do something wrong by sharing what something that I'm concerned about, right. you know, like I just want to let you know that this is something coming up so that we can process it together. Mm-hmm not for you to take it away from right you know um, and i don't think that should have to happen until you've reached a point where you're not able to 
handle your responsibilities, right? Exactly. Or to the point where you have to leave. Right. You know, and then you can't do it. But I mean, at least give me the chance to like give my residents a heads up, uh, you know, and so they can prepare themselves for what's going to happen as opposed to, okay, that's it. It's a wrap. Mm-hmm. Let's send out a notice to everybody and let them know that he's going to be gone and you'll take over his role and you'll do, and it's like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Like, you know, I just opened my mouth for the first time. Let me process what's happening yeah. right now. And then you're like, what's so, yeah. the lesson you, you internalize there? It's like, wow. So don't be yeah. vulnerable and honest. I just kept my mouth shut, yep. you know? Yep. So. Yeah, that one's. And I've. Go ahead. Sorry, that was, it's just re- it, it's an interesting question. It's slightly off topic that I think about a lot. That's just um, in terms of like substance abuse, you know, a lot of times clients uh-huh. will say like, I don't know, I'm thinking about telling my work about my problem because um, they have like things in place where I could they might pay for part of my treatment or whatever, you know, and like some employers right. might be really supportive of that. And then other employers might like find reasons to get rid of you. And it's right. so, and they'll sometimes ask me, like, do you think I should say something? And I'm like, I don't know, because that could go either way. Right. And I think in that case, though, what I've learned to do, it's like, um, I think what I learned to do in that situation, hold on, it's just to uh, weigh the pros and cons of it, you mm-hmm. know? So at least they're aware of what the the benefits of doing it will be and what the con, you know, like, uh, well, how it can go bad if they were to do it. So then they can at least make a An informed decision. The, the decision. Right. So whatever way they go, at least they know, mm-hmm. you know, if it turns out bad, at least you knew it was, that was a possibility, yep. you know? Yeah. When you did what you did, did you consider that possibility or did you think, Oh, this will be fine. what do you mean? Which part? When you told, uh, told your job, the story you were telling earlier. I did not because I didn't expect I didn't expect the worst. I expected to, you know what? I expected sympathy. I expected uh, compassion. I expected like uh, camaraderie. Cause I mean, like I had a team, I had my supervisor and I had a team of other RAs I was working with, Yep. you know? So I just, I just felt like there would be this warm feeling of like, let's do this together. You know, you're not by your, you're not alone in this. We got your back. That's what I was expecting. That is not what I got. That would have been the appropriate response, I think. The, yeah, I think the, so, too. That's why I expected it. <laughs> the compassion and the support. That's like what I would expect, too, if I was in that situation. Yeah. You know? And so um, I was, I don't know if, I, wouldn't even, I wasn't even disappointed. I was just like, I was shocked by it. Um, but and I think that's where I've learned. One of the reasons that I understand now that people have their own narratives. Everybody has their own story behind what they do, what they do. I don't know why my supervisor decided to go that route, but I also don't know her history. You know, I don't know what her childhood was like. That may have a, it could have triggered something for her where she felt like, you know, we got to make sure we have this, take care of this. So this become a, doesn't become an issue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that would be based on her own story. For sure. I love that. I love and that. So I don't have any empathy piece yeah. that you have there. Um, one of my favorite things that I got out of my training at the relational center was this saying that if you find that you are judging someone, uh, there's a strong chance that you don't know enough about their story. <laughs> That's probably true. 
That's probably true. Well, because like I think one thing I, I tell my clients too is that like, we we all have a tendency to see ourselves as these like dynamic creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Where we have like all kinds of feelings. I have happiness. I have sadness. I have anger. I have frustration. Uh, and we have different reasons why we do things. Oh, I cut this person off on the road because I had to make it to this appointment and I don't want to make sure I was late. Right. That's how we see ourselves. Right. But we tend to see the other person as a one dimensional static being. Mm-hmm. Right. That did something because one reason alone. And that's because they're an asshole or that's because they don't care about me or that's because they're selfish or that's because they only care about themselves. You know, it's like, what kind of person do you know? It's just one has only one way of being. They just mm-hmm. wake up and they think I'm just going to be selfish today right. or I'm just going to like uh, be an asshole today. That's all I'm going to be. Yep. I don't know anybody like that because even people who I consider assholes have a reason why they do what they do. Y- yep. You know? Yep. And if I were to sit and ask them why they did that, they would have a legitimate reason for themselves. Even if it wasn't logical to me, it's logical to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the same way that I would have a logical explanation for why I did what I did. Exactly. And so that's, and I think, yeah, it's interesting, but it goes back to the whole like us versus them mentality. You know, like we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Exactly. You know, and it's, this is why I loved learning about narrative therapy so much in graduate school because they gave those Mm -hmm. labels that you're talking about a title. They called them thin descriptions. And the modality is okay. all about thickening those stories. And they use these titles all the time, right. selfish, lazy. One of the ones that I get super triggered by is the word rude. Like, that's rude. Because okay. I'm like, but that's rooted in your expectation of how other people should act, which is also like right. a cultural bias. Like, who says that's the way I'm supposed to eat my food? Like... Right. Some cultures eat the food with their hands. Like, I don't actually do that. But like, if you tell me that I'm being rude because I'm eating with my hands, like you're rude. That's rooted in the assumption that all people use silverware. Right. All people use the same way. And then it's bothering you that I'm not. Um, But that's you're like expecting that I'm supposed to behave in a certain way because that's how people behaved in your life. And that's how you were taught was the way you're supposed to behave. Exactly. And and my my trigger is uh, common sense. It's like, oh, that's common sense. Yeah. And it's like, if it's common sense, then why don't I know it? Yeah, you know? it's like, insulting. The expectation is, right, yeah. The expectation is that because it's common sense, everyone should know it. But you would only know it if someone taught mm-hmm. you. Right? So whether it's your cultural background or whether it's your society you live in or whether it's something, someone had to teach you something for you to know exactly. it. Exactly. And if no one taught you, you would not know it. Yep. You're not born knowing it. So how is it common mm-hmm. sense? And the assumption Uh, there is I'm assuming that you grew up the same way I did. Right. And the also assumption is that because you don't know this, there's something wrong with you because everyone should know. Right. Right. Close minded. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's my trigger. You, you tell me that's common sense. It's just like, okay, all right, I got it. We won't be having this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I hope that's common sense for you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know it's like come on man yeah but yeah so that's my trigger mm-hmm. still is i used to yeah i had other triggers in the past but that's that's my that one has still lingered on yeah i get that one for sure that one drives me crazy too yeah, yeah so. um so to to wrap up uh yep i will say 
you know, I think that I see a lot of clinicians uh, decide to not do this, do face-to-face work with clients, the clinical stuff uh, for the rest of their career. And I've definitely hit different points in my career where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I should get into the research side. Common things that I see people do is like what you and I are doing right now, making a podcast, writing a book, creating their own therapeutic modality, and then trying to sell that. Uh, For myself, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't really intend to write a book um, because writing drives me crazy. And I don't really want to design my own therapeutic modality because my style is sort of just following what happens in the room. And I don't really have specific techniques that I could like spell out how to do. So I don't know. I might end up doing this uh, for a longer career path. Um, If I'm being honest, I think probably, you know, I also do teaching. So I teach at the graduate school that I went to and sort of blending those two things to create more balance in my life is nice. Um, And, and then I don't feel as burnt out when I'm able to take on different roles and shift my responsibilities. So I get more variety. And, and I think everyone has to kind of find that balance that, you know, works for them. And, And the one cool thing, I will say about this career is you don't have to commit to doing it for the rest of your life. Cause I think meeting with clients and learning about people on that deep of a level, so interpersonally, you can transfer those skills to so many other jobs, so many other jobs. If you wanted to shift, you could do it. And I think that's pretty amazing. I find it to be comforting, right? To know that there's always other options available to you. That's true. What about you? Oh man, Uh, I'm the opposite. (laughs) I think like, I like the idea of I'm an ever evolving being. And so um, sometimes you need a platform to continue evolving. And the platform that I've chosen is this field, you know, in this platform, mm-hmm. I love doing therapy. I love helping people. Um, I don't like the limitations of, I'll be honest. I don't like the limitations of, I can only work with people in one place at one time. So right now I'm licensed in California. So that's as far as I can go. Nothing, you know, and I can't go beyond that. And I feel like therapy is one of those things where I feel like everyone everywhere needs to be helped. And then if there's any way that I can help them, I want to help them, you know? And so that's why I look at other venues such as like writing books because anyone could buy a book, you know, doing a podcast because no one can tell me that no one, like right now our podcast has been listened to all over the world, that's right? Pretty cool. I'm a therapist in California, but my, but the podcast has been listened to all over the world and there's no jurisdiction on that. I know. I like that. I know. You know, um, I like the idea of having a therapeutic model because like I do have a, I don't want to say it's formulaic, but I do notice certain tendencies in the way that I do things. Mm-hmm. And if I find success in doing it that way, and if my clients are, find success in the way that, that in that way that I do it, I want someone else to be able to take that. I would love for another therapist to then see that, um, connect with it and then use it and find the same success. That's really cool. You know? And so that would be my take on it. 
I love therapy. I will always be a therapist. If even if I don't do it um, one on one, I still want to be able to do it the way that I want to do it. I agree with that. Actually, hundred percent. That last part. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I absolutely. I th- I know. I I've said this before. I had this thought, and I also said it to my wife that I know that sometimes when it gets overwhelming and all I want to do is do something else, I know that if I stopped, I'd miss it. Yeah, man. And so I like want my (laughs) cake and eat it too, or whatever that saying is. Like I want to be able to do it when I want to do it, and I don't want my income to rely on it. (laughs) Yes. You know? Yeah. I I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's an, you know what it is? I, I realize there's an ideal balance. Like a idea balance of the number of clients and the income that you make from seeing those clients. Like if I had five clients that I really connected with, that really connected with me, that I knew I was going to have that, that working together would have a great impact on their life. I would stop there because I don't have to save I don't have to help everybody in the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to help the people that I that I am able to help, you know? Um, and if it could be that, and I can still make a living and live, that would be ideal situation. Yep. Um, and it may be ideal. It's just not ideal. It's just, or, it's, or it may be realistic. It's just not realistic right now. And so, so that's something for the future. Yep. Yep. You know, if this was a YouTube video, I would say, um, if there's any other therapists out there, um, what do you think? Is it a lifelong career or is it not a lifelong career? Let us know in the comments below, but we don't have comments. Wish we had comments. I mean, they can shoot us an email. We have an email, you know, that oh. uninformed consent one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Un- uninformed consent one at gmail.com. Uninformed consent. I don't even know. I was going to spell it, but then if I say it wrong, I'm going to feel weird. Um, uninformed consent, the number one at gmail.com. If you send the uh, message there, you can either send a request for a um, future podcast. Leave some comments there. You can. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. And if it's something that we end up using, we can definitely give you a shout out. Yeah. Also, if you have any questions, please email us. Or if you want to, uh, uh, like questions you would like us to answer on a sh- on an episode, or if you have any topics you'd like exactly. to hear about, we'd love to hear about that as well. 